Welcome to the Engage and Empower podcast. Behind every successful company is an intentional and innovative approach to empowering your most valuable asset, your people. Join me in having conversations with people and talent leaders as we share our journeys and unpack what it takes to build strong, cohesive teams and employee experiences. From executives at early stage startups to innovators at large public companies, we'll capture the compelling stories of the people behind People Teams. Hey, hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Engage and Empower podcast. I'm your host, Resika Rajagopalan, and today I am pumped to be chatting with an old colleague, Sean Cervera, head of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Curology. Sean has a super cool background. He's worked in the recruiting and diversity space at a number of companies, including LinkedIn, Google, Apple, Twilio, and Uber, just to name a few. He's been in the diversity, equity, and belonging space for over 10 years and has really seen it evolve. So Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and so excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to dig into everything you've been up to lately. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your story and what your journey was through your various roles as you found your passion in the diversity space. Yeah, I feel like I'm one of those really lucky people that started their career really being heavily involved in academia. So I was a part of a team that really invested in building out a multicultural center, a safe space center, a women's center, and really just fell in love with what has become known as the diversity and inclusion space. And so after leaving academia and kind of joining the world of tech, really found some incredible opportunities at my role at Apple to really take a lens of inclusion and diversity around how Apple approached retail staffing. And as many people know, Apple Retail is one of the most diverse entities around there. And so it was a really incredible opportunity to really find this match between my passion and what also became my additional passion, which is talent and recruiting. And from there, it just kind of blossomed. I moved over to Google, got really heavily involved in the ERG ecosystem. I was a co-founder of Gaglers in the Midwest, which is their LGBTQ employee resource group. Got partnered with somebody to also launch Ola, which was their Latinx employee resource group. And then it just continued there. I moved over to SpaceX, where I led diversity and inclusion. I was on the board of diversity and inclusion at Uber. And then I was at LinkedIn for about five years, building out diversity recruiting, and then eventually kind of scaling their ERG ecosystem. So I've been very blessed to spend a decade plus in an environment, in a work stream that I'm insanely passionate about and very blessed to do the good work. Yeah, I think it's super cool that not only have you been in this space for a number of years, even before I would say like, you know, it, it became a very common role in every organization, but also that you have the experience working in, you know, recruiting as well. I think recruiting and uh, diversity, equity and belonging work are very, very intertwined. And you've kind of seen the mechanics of the recruiting engine to really understand how DEB leaders can partner closely with recruiting teams. And so through your time at LinkedIn, what did you learn from that experience uh, that you continue to leverage in your roles today? What are some of the most common challenges that companies face and what was your strategy in supporting them as you started that team and eventually grew it to over 10 people? You know, I think it's one of those things where prior to, to coming to LinkedIn, I sat on teams that were known as diversity recruiting. And one of the biggest learns that I had at LinkedIn is we did this rebrand and we decided to call it inclusion recruiting. 
And that just, that really hit home for me. I think in many cases, you know, it's the phrase that I use now moving forward. I think when you put diversity in front of the word recruiting, in many cases, it can communicate, we are hiring you because you're diverse and it can lead to tokenism. And so I think when you lead with the phrase inclusion recruiting, it talks about creating a process that's truly inclusive and equitable so that the best talent can rise. And that was one of the biggest aha moments I've had in my career. And it's something that I continue to use moving forward because it's something, again, like it's a process. Hiring diverse talent is the result of a process that is able to mitigate bias, check bias, um, and build things in throughout the process that allow diverse talent to rise. And, and the other thing is also kind of re-gearing what is needed for talent to truly be successful. I think there's, as you've seen, this kind of mindset revolve, you know, is a college degree necessary? Is tech experience necessary? And now with the pandemic, is working in a physical office necessary? And, you know, it's one of those things where I, another part that I think was mind-blowing to me as well is, this concept of diversity as a pipeline issue. I passionately believe that diversity is not a pipeline issue. Diverse talent exists in numbers. They are everywhere. The issue is ensuring that you are not creating these roadblocks for talent. I remember being in a, in a hiring manager conversation where somebody was looking for 10 years of experience in a technology that had been around for five years. Like what? So it's, it's ridiculous expectations that we set. That of course it's gonna it's gonna prevent any talent from rising in the process. So, and I think too, it's you know the biggest thing that I've learned is it takes resources, people, time to really cause systemic change. Diversity is not going to happen overnight. Inclusion is not going to happen overnight. This is a lifetime investment across the life of a company. There is a beginning date and there is no end date because it is going to be something we continuously invest in. And with LinkedIn, I can honestly and genuinely say that is an organization that approached inclusion, recruiting, inclusion, equity, and belonging wholeheartedly from a place of authenticity and really put their money where their mouth was and invested in building strategies where people not only felt like they were navigating a process because they were insanely talented and deserved to be there, but from the moment that they also started felt like they were celebrated, they had a seat at the table, their voice was being heard, and that they truly belonged. And I think that that's the big thing too. A lot of companies, when they build out diversity and inclusion strategies, they default to diversity recruiting. They forget about the other parts of that roadmap of ensuring people are celebrated and feel respected and heard, the retention piece. And so that was one of the big pieces of LinkedIn is it was really, it was 360, it was really full picture. Yeah, I love the thought there on the switch between diversity recruiting to inclusion recruiting or inclusive recruiting, um, really like focusing on the process versus focusing on the outcome. I think that's also really empowering. I think a lot of times hiring managers and hiring teams, they really want to build diverse teams under them, but aren't maybe entirely sure how or what they can be doing more of or what they can be leaning into. And I think focusing on inclusive recruiting actually puts your team in a position to give people the tools versus, you know, being there just to partner on outcomes. So what types of things did you partner with the recruiting team on when it came to building inclusive recruiting processes or inclusive recruiting systems or enablement or whatever that did look like? Yeah, I mean, I think what's really important is definitely a close partnership with recruiting. So the team that we ended up building at LinkedIn was a programs team. The inclusion recruiting team was a programs team. So we partnered very closely 
with the talent organization to really ensure that the entire talent function was being set up for success. And that's another aha thing that I've learned. When you build diversity recruiting teams, that shouldn't be the only team that's responsible for sourcing and hiring diverse talent. It is everyone's responsibility. Every recruiter, every hiring manager, every executive, it shouldn't, the weight shouldn't be put on one team. And that's where I felt LinkedIn did it right. You know, building a programs team empowered the entire talent function to really own inclusion recruiting and execute on it. When I think about the partnership, it came down from a strategy. So we, the one thing that we did is we add, like adapted goals, specifically representation goals, specifically for technical functions versus non-technical functions. We pulled in data to look at how talent navigated our recruiting process, which was a partnership with Talent Insights and Talent Analytics. We looked at training opportunities across the functions, specifically for hiring managers and recruiters, and built a learning roadmap based off of that, a close partnership with L&D and the talent function. And then it also, it came to partnerships were really huge. In many cases from experience, the two things that stand out to me the most is diverse talent typically will look at diverse leaders. Are there diverse leaders at this organization? And so it was important to partner with executives and understanding that diversity recruiting or inclusion recruiting at LinkedIn isn't something that can just fall upon university recruiting. This is the responsibility of all recruiting, regardless of its entry level or its executive. So to change the face of executives you know, at LinkedIn as well. So that was a very close partnership with talent acquisition and the executive team. And the other part to that is partnerships. People want to see companies supporting and empowering organizations like Anita Borg, MLT, uh, Code 2040, organiza- you know, out in tech, lesbians who tech. So we partnered very closely with programs and with recruiting to build out a robust partnership strategy. At the time, LinkedIn actually had a head of strategic partnerships, Jacqueline Jones, who is an incredible human being. So partnered very closely with her to ensure that we were building partnerships that generated ROI, but also built a strong deep-rooted partnership with these organizations. Yeah. You provide a lot of strategic support, essentially, by giving people data that they can pull from, by partnering with the right organizations, by coaching executive leaders, and uh, really kind of tackling it from all ends. I love the the everybody is a recruiter piece there. That's something I always I always say. I think everybody has a part in this and everybody's a recruiter, especially when it comes to uh, inclusion recruiting. And so I love all of those ideas and approaches. One of the things that I think is really interesting about your experience is you've worked at very highly globalized companies. So Google, Uber, Apple, LinkedIn, right? So what has your approach been for bringing large teams together as you do this work? Culturally, in different locations, I'm sure there are some differences. How do you kind of rally everyone together when you talk about uh, inclusion, recruiting, or or programs around diversity, equity, and belonging in companies that are so large and, and get those conversations started? Love this question. What I would say, something that I've always said is diversity is a global concept, but it's not universally defined. And what I mean by that is it's important that the way you approach diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, there is no cookie cutter approach. It is not a one fits all. It should be adapted and customized, not only from region to region, but from team to team. And so I think in order to get there and to achieve that, You have to have conversations, focus groups, visit other teams, shadow other teams. One of my favorite parts to my role 
at LinkedIn, the various roles that I have is that it was global. And I got to visit our UK-based offices. I got to visit our offices across you know, North America. And so I think that it's important in order to bring people together, you have to understand the diverse perspectives and nuances to those teams and to those regions. So that's the biggest thing, I think, is, is just taking the time to get to know them, taking the time to have conversations, taking the time to bring them along on the journey with you. I feel like from experience, strategies have been well-received when they feel like they've been a part of that decision-making process. And have fun. I always got my team hair flipping and body rolling, and that lured them all in. So I feel like, you know, it's, yes, it's important work. We're dealing with people's identities, but it's also important to have, be creative and have fun and bring people along. Yeah, totally. It sounds like, I mean, while the, uh, while the overarching strategic initiatives were the same, your ability to travel and connect with people and really understand their respective identities and how that impacts how they partner with you in this work enables you to build a deeper level of connection with them and really understand their perspective and enabling you to, to kind of tailor that approach more effectively. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're able to adapt things, it makes the strategy so much more fun. When I was so one of the big things we ended up doing for LinkedIn is we did a talent show recruiting style event and we adapted it based on the region. So it was called Open Mic in North America, but it was called LinkedIn's Got Talent in the UK. And so it, those cute, quick, strategic nuances that custom tailor strategy to the regions, again, I think brings people along with you on that journey. Yeah, it shows people that you're you're paying attention and yeah. you kind of understand, yeah, you understand some of the the cultural pieces uh, that are relevant to them. In that vein, like how does your own identity impact the way that you show up as a, a DEB leader? Like how do you balance driving some of these conversations yourself while also, you know, serving to to give other underrepresented employees a voice? Like where's the fine line between that and placing the burden of education on those employees? Like I'm sure your own identity plays a large role in this work, especially at large globalized companies and even smaller startups. Totally. Absolutely. I think, you know, I always share my story. I share my truth. And I think being an LGBTQ biracial, you know, man with, uh, with a disability is a huge part of my identity. It's a huge part of how I approach things. But I also am very aware that I sit in privilege and that I look like I come off as a white man. And so I think at that same point, being aware of my privilege and being able to ensure that I surround myself with brilliant minds, diverse minds. And you know, one of the things that I always say is I will not speak on behalf of anyone. My responsibility as a DEIB practitioner is to ensure that I have people at that table and that they're, they have the opportunity to share that voice and share that perspective and empower me to, if anything, hopefully somewhat understand their set of experiences and their journey. So I think being somebody who identifies as diverse absolutely changes my perspective and how and how I navigate nuances and strategies. But at the same time, I have built very diverse teams where we have such a beautiful mosaic picture of diverse perspectives that just continue to enhance my approach as the leader of a team, enhance the approach of my team in general. So I think it's both being cognizant of my identity and my privilege and the lack of experience that I have with specific experiences and journeys. I think I would like to say set up my, you know, myself for success as well as my teams. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting question. I think like for any role, your own identity plays a part in it, but especially for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging driven roles, there's an even larger piece there. And so I love the, I love the concept of really focusing on hiring diverse teams, partnering with other managers to hire diverse teams, and then using the perspectives of others in your organization to uh, continue to to drive your work while also pulling from your own experiences, which are incredibly relevant and, you know, really, really real experiences to kind of base your your own strategy off of. And so um, I love that that blended approach. Yes. One of the things I've also said, I think I've shared with this you in the past is there's no hierarchy of identity. All identities matter. And once we create this hierarchy, inclusion is no longer inclusive. And so I think it's important as a leader to ensure that all perspectives and all identities are there and present and taken into consideration as anything's designed or strategized. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really great point. How, like, what does the day-to-day look like for you? I, I feel like over the last even year, the DEIB leader role has shifted so much. And I'm sure you've kind of seen that evolution even over the last 10 years. And so in your day-to-day, what does that look like? Who do you collaborate with? What initiatives do you lead? What does that look like? I can honestly say (laughs) that no day is the same. Every day is different. I mean, it can look like partnering with ERG leaders to build programs that support, you know, our incredible employees. It can be working with hiring managers and recruiting to develop strategy, HR business partners to support the development of leaders and, you know, navigate nuances within regions or specific teams. That's the one thing that I love about a role in the diversity and inclusion space is that the role by nature is diverse. No day is the same. My agendas are always differing from day to day. And it's funny in the essence that I have seen more letters get added to my title. You know, when this work was going on a decade ago, we talked about diversity and then it was inclusion and then it was belonging and now it's equity. And now there's social justice. And so it's, I've loved seeing the evolution of the title because I think the evolution of the title correlates to the evolution of work. And we are doing more in different ways across different functions. We're not even stopping at internal. Now we're looking at external and social impact. So I can honestly say no day's the same. I am the architect and responsible for the diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging roadmap. But again, my entire team has a seat at the table. I'm having conversations with my incredible program managers, my interns. We're, we're roadmapping OKRs right now at Curology. And my interns have OKRs that are going to be shared across the company. We all are responsible for this work. And I would like to say that, you know, that, that just makes it so much more fun as a leader when everyone is, you know, has a seat at the table and is responsible for the work. So I would say overall, I'm responsible for the strategy. No day looks the same, but I always, I played baseball for 15 years. So I always use baseball references. I always expect an occasional curveball here and there. Totally, totally. One of the things that I think is is really exciting about the, the DEIB landscape as it's been shifting is just a higher level of accountability just around diversity on teams and in and hiring and how the sense of inclusion is captured at various organizations. And a lot of it is starting to get more metrics driven and companies are starting to share that information. On the other token, I'm curious, what is it like being in an industry where you're constantly measured, yet moving the needle is, is really difficult and oftentimes dependent on systemic factors that are outside of you know, your own control or our own control? What is that like and how have you navigated that? 
You know, it's this is a great question in the essence that we're still figuring this out. I think part of being in this space is we have to create and innovate on one another. If we continuously are setting the goal that we have to hire within tech, of course, we're not going to move the needle. When tech companies are historically underrepresented, if you're recruiting from one another, the needle is not going to move. And so I think it's important to, of course, always be in tune to what's happening in the industry, what trends are happening in the industry. But at the same time, don't limit yourself to California. Don't limit yourself to Silicon Valley. Do not limit yourself to tech. One of the really proud things I'm proud to say that Curology, as we've defined our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging map, we're in the process of sharing our first ever diversity report, which I'm rebranding it as our diversity and inclusion journey. I'm not using the word report, is we are going to show what our aspirational goals are for FY28, fiscal year 28, 2028. And the big piece to this is we're using labor statistics. We are, you know, as a skincare company, Our workforce should represent the skin tones and shades that we seek to serve. And so we are not limiting ourselves to what the tech companies look like. We are ensuring that our workforce looks like what the labor workforce looks like. And so I think in order to get there, we're going to have to get creative. We're going to have to innovate in order for us to truly move the needle. And we've already moved the needle tremendously in the seven months that we've launched our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy. And again, I take a very different approach. I think shifting the mindset from focusing on a number of hires to ensuring there's diverse representation throughout each stage of the interview process is a mind shift, but it truly fundamentally changes the way that we recruit. Yeah. I love the I love the use of the word journey because I think report almost feels like it's okay, this is where we are in a point of time and I'm just going to communicate that whereas a journey kind of talks about the evolution of what it took to get there and where you're headed and it's um a really great learning tool for other companies to it's a great learning tool for other companies to learn from and I think that is the benefit of sharing some of these uh reports or journeys or whatever you want to call it is it gives people insight into um where you are today and, and where you're heading because there's so much education that's been shared in this space over the last even year itself. And I think it's always great for other leaders to learn from the great work that other companies are doing. How have you, uh, what, what are some of the strategic pillars that you're currently focusing on? And then how do you tailor your initiatives across your various employee groups at Curology? So how I took a step back. And when I defined our diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging strategy, we ultimately came up with four pillars. And Our strategy is called We Are the Skin Company, with SKIN being an acronym that stands for Source, Keep, Invest, and Nurture. And so these are the four key work streams that are the guiding philosophy on how we approach DEIB at Curology. One of the things that I love, 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 love about the Curology workplace is that the employees are so passionate about DEIB work and they want to do things differently. And I've enjoyed being a part of an organization that has this medical wing. I've chatted with so many of our medical leaders, our medical and provider team leaders that are passionate about, you know, publications, education, creating scholarship opportunities. And it's just, it's so incredible to be a part of an organization that is genuinely committed to this, but also thinking about how we as an organization can create systemic change and create strategies that empower people to love their skin and to love their shade. And so Again, like I think when I think about our strategy source being that we're focusing on the attraction of diverse talent, 
keep is, okay, great, we have diverse talent. How are we empowering them and supporting them? Invest is how do we create active allies? I think allies has become such a passive term. It's like I wave this flag and I support. It's like, no, we want you to understand what an ally means. You're an ally for equality. That means all communities. And so we're creating a learning roadmap that empowers serology employees to be active allies for one another. And then uh, nurture is actually our external, our external pillar that focuses on causing systemic change. So we actually have built a DEIB roadmap where 25% of our strategy is aimed at causing change externally. So that's really, that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of a strategy. And again, we've just been able to do so much good work so quickly that I'm just proud of the leadership team, the DEIB team, Curology employees, very proud. Yeah, I love the the acronym as well. I think when you make things kind of easy for everyone across the organization to understand and internalize, that makes it that much easier for them to then be a part of driving those initiatives. And I think the fact that the, the acronym is, is skin in itself ties it so closely to the business. And I think that's really cool. So I guess kind of going off of that question, though, I mean, between your different employee groups, does the strategy or do the initiatives look different? Or what, what do you recommend to other DEB leaders that have really different employee groups within their organization? Like, do all solutions kind of look the same? Or have you kind of flexed or tailored your approach based on the work setup and the, the focus area of, of different employees within your org? Totally. So I think that, that this is a perfect question, because it's kind of weaving in some things that I've said in the other questions. So yes, you should have focus conversations and do focus groups and one-on-ones with executive leaders across functions to really understand what are their gaps, what's missing. One of the big pieces to inclusion recruiting at Curology is we're launching this template called Team-Based Diversity Plans or a TBD. And what this is really asking is for executives and hiring managers to take a step back and look at the diverse representations in aggregate on their teams. And understanding that, yes, while we might be focusing on certain populations across Curology, does that apply to your team? You know, some teams might be all female. Some teams might be all male. Adjusting the gender focus based on the team composition makes sense. Some teams might have more diverse representation from an, you know, from an an ethnicity and race lens, but adapting that strategy and focusing on other aspects of identity, if that's the case. So yes, our strategy, we have a rough goal as a company of what we would like our company to look like in terms of representation across multifaceted identities. But that doesn't mean that that needs to be the representation goal for specific teams if teams differ in what their their composition looks like. So everything's being adapted per function, per team, based on a close partnership with myself and my team, as well as recruiting as well as HR business partners. So long story short, yes, things are being adapted from function to function, team by team. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because especially now, like Curology is an example of a company that's in the intersection of medicine and tech. There are companies in the intersection of real estate and tech, insurance and tech. You're starting to see a lot of industries starting to meld together. And especially as you think about your diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging strategy, both from a representation perspective within those various industries, but then also even from like an enablement perspective and what types of education you want to provide and what historically has been provided in various industries. It's always an interesting, uh, an interesting challenge and a, um, a thought exercise, I think, for both HR and, and DEIB leaders to think about. So yeah, 
Totally. Well, Sean, this has been super, super inspiring, super helpful. I love, I love chatting with you. I'd love to get a sense of like who else inspires you in this field? Who do you learn from? What types of books or resources do you generally find yourself turning into as you're trying to ponder some of these topics? Where would you recommend people go? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think, you know, LinkedIn is a great place. I'm obviously a little biased since I love, love, love working for them. Where there's incredible groups on the LinkedIn platform that can connect you to other diversity practitioners. There's incredible organizations that offer consulting work, like the Collective and Paradigm. There's incredible organizations. I am I love Inclusion Design Group, which is an organization that I partnered with uh, at LinkedIn and will be partnering with at Curology, and they help create and and build diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging trainings. One of the other organizations that I also love is Catalyst. It's an incredible organization that you can launch and create access to immediate trainings for your teams. And there's a lot of really incredible material on there and infographics. When I think about leaders in this space that I admire, of course, Rosanna Jaruthi at LinkedIn, one of the most emotionally intelligent and authentic, creative, innovative human beings I've ever had the honor of working for. Lafon Davis, who's now at Indeed, is a rock star in her own right. We have Maxine Williams at Facebook. And there's, I just, you know, I think when you look at organizations that I think have built world-class cultures that have become known for their cultures, I can ensure you there is a chief diversity officer that has been a key architect into the creation of that culture. So I always look at companies that I admire from a culture perspective and see what their DEIB teams are doing and see who leads those teams. And never be afraid to reach out and pick brains. You know, we're all trying to achieve a better, more inclusive world. And so the likelihood, in my experience, at least, of people wanting to connect and, and open source and share best practices are definitely there. And of course, there's a plethora of books within the diversity and inclusion uh, space. I know Harvard, Harvard Business Review has also published a lot of books around compassion, emotional intelligence, you know, leading inclusively. So there's a lot, there's a lot out there. There's definitely not an opportunity for, there is always an opportunity for more content, but there is a plethora of options out there in the DEIB space. Totally, totally. Those are some super helpful recommendations. Sean, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. I love, I love the experience that you clearly bring in the, the DEIB space. It, it really shows. Um, but also, I just love the energy that you have uh, and that you bring to this work and the, the ability that you have to rally lots of people around, uh, you know, a unified and shared cause. And so I really appreciate you sharing more about your journey and kind of taking us through some of the things you've learned along the way. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I appreciate the time. And for anyone out there that's listening, I applaud you. And thank you so much for dedicating your time and your energy to building a more inclusive world. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more stories like this, Please subscribe for the weekly drop and feel free to share around with your people and talent colleagues. I'd love your feedback, so please leave a review and let us know what you enjoyed and what types of topics you'd like to see covered in the future. The more reviews and subscribers we get, the more quality content we can consistently deliver to you. If you're interested in being on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at russica at engageandempower.org. See you next week.